Welcome to the Wednesday edition of Football and Grits, the Athletics SEC Football Podcast. Well, we've got a, uh, our, my co-host again. I'm, I'm David Ubbin, your Wednesday host, and my co-host Josh Kendall covers South Carolina closely. Uh, Josh, a newsy week in Columbia, one could say. Yeah, I'm not even sure what day it is anymore, and, that's, <laughs> and, and for the first time in three months, that's not virus-related. That's just... Uh, coaching search related. Yeah, you know, before we get into some of the finer points um, of a, a really interesting decision, big picture for you, what what direction should South Carolina go with this hire? And as somebody who knows this program, what direction will they go? Well, we'll go in a little bit in reverse order. I think Vegas has it right, unsurprisingly. Vegas always has it right. Napier? When I say that... I. I Napier should be the slight betting favorite right now because he's the safe choice, because he checks all the boxes, because there are no red flags. Napier's kind of the plug-and-play option. You you introduce Billy Napier, 95% of your fan base is going to be like, okay, I'm okay with that, I feel good about that guy. Now, what direction should they go? That's a more interesting question. I don't think they're going to Hugh Freeze, but, you know, I was foolish enough to think at the beginning of the season that a pandemic and a health crisis and a $13 million buyout would keep them from firing a football coach this year. I forgot the most important lesson of SEC football, which is that nobody cares about anything but winning football games. There's no second place or third place or fourth place. It's win games, period. So Hugh Freeze... We'll get some traction. We'll get some names. But I don't think South Carolina's going down that road. My dark horse candidate is Steve Sarkeesian. Mm-hmm. Now, Steve Sarkeesian may get a better job. Steve, Car- Steve Sarkeesian may wait. But South Carolina wants an offensive guy. They've said that. And even if they hadn't said it, it would be perfectly clear. We talked about this before, David. We're at the end of the defensive head coach cycle. It's offense time now. Mm-hmm. Sarkeesian, I think, would be a very nice choice for South Carolina. But – we throw it back to the election if y'all will forgive me you know if we're talking uh politics we're just at the beginning of the primary here mm-hmm. you know you've got 20 or 25 names you're going to hear a bunch of people we're not even to general election season when you really know two or three or four guys and you can start whittling it down seriously and deciding what direction should south carolina go mm-hmm. well we're coming out of the block hot we still got some some south carolina chatter but thank you guys for subscribing uh, thank you for listening. Uh, leave us a review. Give us a five-star rating. And, of course, if you aren't officially subscribed to the uh, Football and Grits podcast so that this podcast is delivered directly to your device, you should change that. Uh, everything you do helps get the word out uh, and, and improve the show. we got a full week of content on this show. Uh, of course, inside the paywall if you're not an athletic subscriber. And you can change that by going to theathletic.com slash grits. You can read Josh's work, my work. The work of uh, our national writers, uh, Bruce Feldman, Stu Mandel, uh, Nicole Auerbach, tons of folks writing about a lot of different things that uh, affect college football. And as we get into the uh, the silly season, the coaching carousel, uh, they're going to have a lot to say and, and a lot of insight. So uh, make sure to check them out. Well, 
Josh, I think I know where this is going, but we should have a we should at least discuss it. I think that people thought, as you alluded to naively, that this might be a slower year in the coaching carousel. Right. Do you think South Carolina is going to be the exception or the rule in that you can fire a coach with a eight figure buyout in the middle of a pandemic? Or are they going to be the ones that, that look a little crazy in 10 years? Well, this is South Carolina. They're used to looking a little crazy, so they're fine with that. Let's, es- <laughs> let's establish that. I got to say, I think that's, that's not a bad sub-slogan for the SEC instead of it just means more. We're used to looking a little crazy, the SEC. We're, we, are, we are a little crazy. <laughs> We're comfortable with that. And South Carolina leads the charge. I mean, this is a state with a long history. South Carolina is perfectly comfortable if they're out there on an island by themselves, you know, these are these are people who have been, you know, it, itching to go their own way since 1861. I mean, this is this is this is long history in the state of South Carolina. So they're fine with that. But I do think that they have now provided some cover for other people to get in the game. Um, it's, <laughs> it's a lot easier. <clears throat> <laughs> well, <laughs> you, you, I, you would not be surprised, David, to have seen the sort of Tennessee people that were sucked up in the wake, my social media wake, of the Will Muschamp news. Mm-hmm. Of you know, I, I tweeted Sunday or Monday or whatever day. You know, they all run together. That you know, the, what South Carolina did was whether rightly or wrongly, they convinced themselves that continued fan apathy was going to cost them more in the long run than. $13 million buyout right now. And I can't tell you how many Tennessee fans jumped into my timeline to forward that to Phil Fulmer. <laughs> so you, you, you would not be surprised by the number. I, I, I know that. Well, I appreciate them subscribing. That's always nice. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, coaching search season, it, we're here for you at The Athletic. This is, <laughs> this is our time. We got you. Yeah, I think – I think it will be somewhere in the middle. I don't think South Carolina is going to be out on an island. You know, I don't. You know, I think there's still a lot of a lot of football left to be played. I don't know that any decisions are made at Tennessee, but I think that you can't totally put making a change totally off the table. We'll see how the season plays out. You know, if they're getting their butts kicked in every game and they lose to Vandy or need overtime, in, you know, to beat Vandy, I think that's going to be some tough conversations. But we'll see. There's a, there's a lot of football that will decide that. But I think South Carolina seeing them. I mean, it can't make you less comfortable with making a change, I suppose. Um, so we'll see. Now, the one thing I think is really interesting that, and Josh, you can probably speak to this. I don't know if South Carolina saw this coming or not. I did not. We should have. Um, but yeah. when you look at South Carolina, J.C. Horn, days after he opts out, one of the best defensive players in the SEC, uh, Israel Mukuamu, another uh, starting defensive back, and a, another starting defensive back, R.J. Roderick, all opted out days after. The intimation being, well, if South Carolina is going to give up on this season, I'm not going to risk my health and my body. Um, I'm going to go get ready for the NFL. Do you think that will – well, for one, did you did you see this coming? And two, do you think that's going to preclude other schools from, from making midseason moves? This is, a, this is a part of the equation that people never really had to worry about before, the opt-outs. You're right that it was a fairly obvious fallout, and I, di- I was not exactly ready for it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But as soon as I saw J.C. Horn, I mean, he he was sitting on go with this announcement. He had a nice graphic done up. He had put some thought into what he wanted to say. This did not feel like, oh, I'm throwing this together and making a spur-of-the-moment decision. Yeah. This felt like a guy who was been standing on the edge of a cliff for a while now and was just waiting for a bump. And I think that there are guys like that across the country regardless of whether there's a coaching change particularly at schools where they're just treading water where they're limping down the stretch Mike Bobo who's taken over as the interim head coach here pointed out this week at some point this has been a long season for these kids they're basically in their 19th week of football practice this is much longer grind than they're used to just in terms of being mentally locked in and engaged Beyond that, they've been in this semi-bubble lifestyle and been asked to really pay attention to everything that they do 24 hours a day, and there's some stress level with that. So I think that there are players all across the country, whether their coach gets changed or not, who are going to do this. I, I think that, you know, they're tired. They're physically tired. They're mentally tired. And football is a tough game to play at this level if you're not 100% locked into it. Yeah, uh, I think you're you're probably right there. I think it's going to give people pause at least. Uh, I think that's definitely true. Um, but uh, it's again, I think it's just part of the equation that has never really been there. That I think is is really interesting. Shifting gears a little bit, you know, we touched on Texas A and M last week, really the last couple weeks, in sort of confronting the reality that the path for them to the college football playoff was relatively clear. Now, a couple weeks ago, a wrench uh, got tossed into that. Uh, Notre Dame beats Clemson without Trevor Lawrence, of course, um, but certainly makes likely the concept that Clemson and Notre Dame split their two matchups, which would, if you're sort of reading the tea leaves, would put Alabama as the SEC champion in the playoff, or Florida, either one, but probably Alabama um, as an undefeated champion. Then you'd have Ohio State, and then the ACC's champion, and then you have that fourth spot. Well, if you had a two-loss Notre Dame team, like a lot of people were predicting, having to play Clemson twice, you'd have that situation. But A&M has had their games, a couple games postponed, and now you have to confront the reality that if they're, you know, they've been dealing with COVID issues, which will affect their play in general... But now you have to wonder what their resume looks like. If they're sitting there when all this is done, whenever it ends up finishing, uh, if they're sitting there at 7-1 and one or 8-1, and one, instead of 9-1, and one, how much do you think that affects their playoff hopes? I think it's huge. I think that you're right that the ACC sort of had its dream scenario and, and now has got two, two lanes that look pretty clear to those two spots. But anything could happen. We've seen that. We don't know what you know. We don't know who's going to win these games. We don't even know what games are going to get played. So if Texas A&M does end up in the conversation for the fourth spot, through no fault of their own, eight and one does not look as good as nine and one. It just doesn't. And when you're splitting the kind of hairs that we that we would be splitting for that fourth spot, I think that's a difference maker. So I think if A&M can't make up, can't play the full ten, obviously. This is just we're just giving them a one loss season, but if if they only get to eight and one, they're out. That hurts them. Well, I I actually disagree with you here. I think 
you know, they've got the Florida win in their back pocket. Florida certainly looks like they're going to coast to win the East. But I, if, if they had missed one of these games that had cost them a quality win, I would agree with you. But I think when you look at, you know, the games that might not get played, Tennessee is, you know, hanging in the midst. Now, now Ole Miss um, obviously has been postponed. Tennessee has been rescheduled for uh, December 12th. We'll see what happens with December 19th if games get into end getting moved there. But as long as that Auburn game stays in, in the mix, and it would certainly help them if Auburn would win some games. But the SEC being down, you know, limited their sort of big opportunities. Obviously, they lost uh, big to Texas A&M. But they have that Florida win. If they can add an Auburn win, especially on the road, and Auburn can keep winning games, I think that will help them. But I think it, it would hurt them more if one of those big games got postponed. But I don't think the committee is going to penalize A&M for not playing Ole Miss if that game doesn't get played or if, you know, another game gets postponed or if they don't play LSU, uh, you know, I think the committee back. is looking I think the committee historically is looking for a, any reason to give the benefit of the doubt to Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, and sort of Notre Dame. And, <laughs> you may and, be right and, about and, that. Mm-hmm. And any reason to exclude everybody else. And I'm not saying that Alabama Clemson and Ohio State haven't kind of earned that. Notre Dame, eh, well, let's don't get into that argument. We don't need those emails. <laughs> but I, I get that. But if you're if you're an outsider, which everybody but those four are, you know, they're looking for reasons to keep you on the outside. That's the way it looks to me. You may be right about that, but I think ultimately the biggest culprit, if A&M, if A&M doesn't get in, they have the rest of the SEC to blame. The SEC is not very good this year. You have a couple really good teams. You have the Aggies, who are probably good, but have had limited opportunities to really prove that. They didn't get to play you know, that big out-of-conference game. Um, they had basically two games where you can prove it. They proved it against Florida. They did not prove it against Alabama, but Alabama is beating the heck out of everybody. You know, Andy and I talked about this last week. I think that game has aged well because Alabama has proven that they're so good. Um right. So uh, you know they you know they don't have that they don't have like a you know uh, a seven and five you know borderline top twenty five SC team that they can beat up on or the same with Tennessee uh, LSU defending national champions in name only you know that game is not going to earn them any goodwill with the committee so I'll have all these disappointing teams that that don't look impressive this year at all well, so hey, I think look, if look, before we, get before there, we hang on before we go any further. Will Muschamp's going to get that LSU defense turned around next year, and they're going to be just fine. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. I think yeah, you know, I think you you may have a point there. Uh, I think you're probably right about that. But yeah, I think so. Again, if A and M doesn't get in, I don't think it's going to be you know because they had a game canceled or because I mean certainly the the Notre Dame Clemson Notre Dame winning that obviously changed their their odds and their fortunes. But the SEC is just having a down year, and the odds of them getting two teams in, you know, unless Florida upsets Alabama, which is a really interesting debate if you have a one-loss Alabama versus a, a one-loss Clemson whose only loss is, you know, at Notre Dame without Trevor Lawrence. Now, that's a fascinating the co- conversation. The college football cabal would implode <laughs> if they had to choose between a one-loss Alabama and a one-loss Clemson. I don't know that they could go on. They would not fly to Dallas. They would They would boycott. Yeah, yeah. But it's interesting, and I think, again, this is going to be a side effect of, of a down year uh, in the SEC. Uh, you know, looking elsewhere, too, you know, the one thing that I think is interesting, you know, you mentioned this uh, earlier in the week, but you Northwestern Wisconsin, if they didn't play, 
would you know would would give them essentially a no contest, uh, knocking out a loss in terms of teams missing key games. I thought we might see more of this. I thought we might see a little bit more. Well, Chaos. we're not gonna. Yeah, we're not gonna play because Alabama's on the schedule next. But we're gonna we're gonna suit up with fifty two. You know, if we've got Vandy, we haven't really seen that this year. Um, but has that surprised you that we haven't seen any more uh, gamesmanship via contact tracing? I'm happy we haven't, but I am a little surprised. I did notice that Eli Drinkwitz, as of Tuesday, has got 56 players, and he's like, oh, no, we're ready to play South Carolina. Give us the Gamecocks. <laughs> yeah. We do not want to miss that game. Yeah, yeah. If I've got 53-and-a-half guys, I'm going. Yeah, and I think, again, even if you dip below that 53 line, the schools still have a, an opportunity to say – we can still play that game. But, but if you've got 56 guys and you're going to play Alabama, yeah, you might be like, yeah. you know, let's let's take our foot <laughs> off the gas a little bit. Yeah. But it wouldn't put it, you know, certainly, would you put it past somebody in the SEC doing something super petty late in the season if they had a chance to really stick it to an opponent? Absolutely Because as not. you were saying, Northwestern, if they bowed out, quote, unquote, we've got a virus issue, they drop Wisconsin below the games threshold and Wisconsin's out and that basically puts Northwestern in the conference title game because they're they're second place in that division if they just you know kicked Wisconsin to the curb ran them in the ditch there goes their best competition for the division you know if Auburn had that chance to Alabama are you telling me (laughs) that they would not you know the the COVID parties they would have in Wednesday on the planes would be <laughs> massive, epic. I think you may be right about that. Uh, hopefully, we don't get to that point in the SEC. Well, let's get to the uh, the final segment of today. Back to Professor Rubin. I've got my red pen out, Josh. You've got a take for me. You're gonna you're you're not gonna like this. You're gonna use that red pen. I, I've got a you feeling be you're right. gonna use this red pen because I'm on an island on this. I think, but let's see. And this contradicts a little bit because we spent, you know, a few minutes here talking about the college football playoff. But I don't care about the college football playoff this year. I've heard a lot of people spend a lot of time talking and a lot of people have spent a lot of time writing, you know, we're in that mix, I know, and I know I'm in the minority here. But there's a lot of hand-wringing about how are we going to get the college football playoff played? How are we going to decide who the four best teams are? If we can't get the college football playoff played, what's it all mean? I don't care. If we play none of those games, I don't care. If we get to the end of the season, all joking aside that we've done here, if we get to the end of the season in a pandemic and they've put a season together and everybody's stayed healthy and we haven't had any really devastating situations from the virus – that's a win. And if, you know, they don't get to play the Rose Bowl or wherever they're playing this year, I'm just not going to care. I'm with you on this. I'll give you an A-. minus. I think, oh, good. I think in I general, in general, so my, my approach to this is two-pronged. One, I don't like that the playoff has sort of defined the sports for the, the South Carolinas, for the – uh, Nebraska, some of these you know programs that have really big time fan bases that they're the whole thing is about well we want to try and get to the playoff eventually and it's like it feels like it's a mile away and it feels like everything you're doing right now you know those eight win seasons are pointless and, and that I, I don't like that um, because I think you know the beauty in college football is in 
just the insanity a lot of the times. But the one thing that I do like is how much the playoff can shape the entire narrative of the whole season. You know, in, in 2014, I was living in Dallas, and the whole 61-58 debate, Baylor and TCU that whole season, that was one of the most fun seasons to cover everywhere, every, every week, because those two programs are not the biggest programs in Texas, but they were the best teams in the state that year, and they hate each other. And their coaches hated each other. Gary Patterson and Art Bryles despised each other. Well, I say that. It was more Gary Patterson hating Art Bryles. Art Bryles <laughs> sort of not particularly caring. But the fan bases despise each other. And the whole season, they would win a game, and then they'd say, well, what happened to our opponent? And they'd just root against the opponent the whole week. And if they weren't that impressive, it was all, look at these scrubs. You know, they beat, you know you, they, we were up three touchdowns in the fourth quarter. They got lucky. They came back. They won on this fluke, you know, uh, comeback field goal, all this stuff. And the whole reason that that was happening was because the playoff was looming over the entire season. And in, in the event that you had the BCS or, you know, you had all these things that weren't necessarily defining the season, I don't think it would have been to the, the, the same or quite as fun. I, and you had, I get that. Yeah, and you had also TCU fans, the side, the side hustle there, TCU fans, their best non-conference win, which Baylor had none that year, was over Minnesota. So TCU fans would, win, would watch their own team win, and then they would root for Minnesota and Jerry Kill to do whatever they could to improve their win. And that's because of the playoff and perception and all of those things. So college football is built but that's on not arguing. Even, but that's not even where we are this year. I, I agree. That's awesome. But right now, we're trying to decide whether Facebook, General Motors, you know, IBM, and Coca-Cola are going to get another trophy. That's what we're spending all this time True. worried about. It, you know, cry me a river if, you know, Nick Saban has to fall back on the Aflac money instead of cashing <laughs> – you know, a hundred thousand dollar college football playoff incentive check. Yeah. I just, I, I, I can't get, I can't care about it this year. And I just, you know, maybe that makes me a bad. Yeah, player. I will. I will not particularly care. You know, because who, who is the champion? I don't particularly care about in any given college football season. It's nice; those games are incredible. But you know, I think it's the same thing. You know, my wife and I were, were we like to watch Master Chef. We were actually talking earlier today about how the finale is like one of our least favorite episodes because it's just not that interesting, and we don't particularly care who wins. It's about the journey and all the interesting things that happen along the way, and the sort of personalities and the things that happen. And I feel the same way about college football. I love the, you know, the playoff, and I love the games and all those things, but I don't particularly care. You know, at the end of it, who's holding up the trophy, or or finally we have some clarity on who the best team is, or whatever. So, I from a, as a, as a college football fan, I'm with you in that if they don't get the playoff in, or if this season ends prematurely, it'll be disappointing. But the bigger victory is, like you said, being able to play some semblance of a season, and hopefully, you know, we haven't seen a lot of like community spread based on football games we haven't seen players in the hospital and and serious issues and that you know if we're having this conversation in april it did not feel like that was going to happen and so it feels like a small miracle even to get to this point even as you know we're rolling downhill in college football and you can see the wheels starting to wobble for sure uh and and the whole thing you're just sort of holding on and bracing for impact 
But right. if, if we'll we keep see. this thing out of the ditch down the stretch, you know, I don't care if they if Alabama and Clemson and Notre Dame and Ohio State get to play two more games. Yeah. I so I think I'm I think I'm with you. The A minus from uh, from Professor oh, I'll, that's I'll take that happily and go home. <laughs> well, that will be uh, about time for both of us to go home. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for uh, subscribing. You should change that if you haven't. It'll deliver our shows directly to your device from whatever podcast purveyor you choose. And if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, you should change that. You can read all of Josh's coverage. It's been really uh, in-depth on uh, this entire change in South Carolina, as well as Bruce Feldman writing about candidates, Chris Vanini writing about the opening. Um, it's been fantastic. Um, and we're going to be covering that all the way. So if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, go to theathletic.com slash grits. You can read all of Josh's coverage and everyone else. Chipping in on that and everything else going on in college football. So again, thank you guys for listening. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you again on Thursday. Myself and Mitch Light will be here with another day of Football and Grits, the Athletics SEC podcast. We'll see you again tomorrow. (laughs) 